God, the call to a life of faith, the mystery of resurrection, the uncertainty of you, sometimes seems too much to grasp. Yet intimacy with you, brushing up against divine presence, however unfathomable, inexplicable it may be, oddly feels like coming home. Be near, God. In these depths we call Lent, be near. Be like home to us. That upon our return, we would find abundant life waiting at the threshold. Amen. Hello. So, we all have our favorite spiritual metaphors. Maybe you've thought about it, maybe you haven't, but you probably have some favorites without realizing it. When I think about spiritual metaphors that have been most meaningful for me, the theme of home comes up most often. In fact, the more upheaval, stress, or worry I experience, the more I yearn for a sense of groundedness, a sense of home within me. I don't know how y'all have been doing, but for me in 2023, I've experienced a good dose of, of all three, upheaval, stress, worry, and so on. So I have found myself once again pondering this notion of home that I have leaned on so many times throughout my life. And this morning I wondered, what is home to you? What makes home home for you? Maybe it's the color of the walls in that one room you love so much and how that shade is just enough to make you feel happy or at ease. Maybe it's the piece of artwork that you love that tells you a story every time you look at it or reminds you of a memory. Or maybe it's your pet greeting you when you wake up first thing in the morning or when you get home at the end of the day. Perhaps home is a smell for you, that mix of scents that make up you and yours. Favorite candles, essential oils, laundry detergent, coffee, aftershave. Maybe home for you is a, is a cozy reading nook or a certain chair or the potted plants that add a breath of life to your space or your porch or your back garden. Maybe home for you is simply the people that you share home with. Most obviously, home is, is where we live. But home is more than this, so much more. And if you take time to consider it, I bet you'll find that wrapped up into your notion of home is also a feeling a state of being, a state of mind. Our reading today from Isaiah, you'll have to go back and read it later, different versions. There's all, it, all different versions sound so different, but if you go back and read it later, um, you'll see that many Bible translations will head that reading as an invitation to abundant life. So it's like an invitation to abundant life, and then the text starts. And honestly, this is a very bold way to reach out to a bunch of people who, in the text, have just lost their home. This particular chapter, chapter 55, concludes the portion of the book known as Second Isaiah, 
Um, this is the common reference to chapters 40 through 55 in the book of Isaiah, in which the fall of Jerusalem and the exile of the people to Babylon is addressed, okay? So Jerusalem has fallen and the people have been exiled to Babylon. Now, many scholars speculate that the author here was actually one of those deported. So he would have known full well how the people might have been feeling um, forced to leave their homeland behind. And yet, speaking for God, he offers them this extreme... Let me me pull this out because I feel like it's about to fall on me. Speaking for God, he offers them this extremely indulgent invitation to abundant life, which is really just an invitation to return to God. So today, on this third Sunday in the Lenten journey, I think this text can come alive for us and that we can also be offered this same abundant invitation to live as well, to come out of our metaphorical exiles, wherever they are, where, whatever they may be, and to return to intimate relationship with God. And I wonder if when considering this return, our understanding of home might be transformed to the point where we begin to associate the idea of home with the nearness of God. In doing so, perhaps God could become like home to us, a living, moving, breathing home that goes with us, sheltering us, protecting us, providing comfort, assurance, a sense of security amid all of life's ups and downs, God as home. Now, this idea of God as home is such a great comfort to me personally, like probably several of us in this room, I'm guessing, I have long struggled with anxiety. And if you know me well, then you know all about that. I've felt lucky overall because it's been pretty manageable for me. My tendencies toward it are mostly situational or perhaps brought on by a um, specific season of life or maybe a, a big stressor or a life change. But probably my greatest struggle with anxiety rises up when I travel. In fact, I still have this memory of being in this group thread with Heather and Brandy, and I was going on a trip, and Heather was like, are you excited in the text? And, Brand- and I didn't respond. Because <laughs> I'm going on a trip. That's exciting, right? Um, I don't want to complain about it. And then Brandy responded, she's really anxious because she's about to leave for the trip, but once she gets there, she'll be excited. <laughs> and I was like, what she said. But whenever I travel, my nerves just shoot through the roof to the point where I often have to bring anxiety medicine with me in order to help me initially adjust to my new environment. I don't know why I experience this kind of travel anxiety. It's probably, you know, my constant need for structure and routine combined with my terror of flying. Um, But either way, I've noticed whenever I travel as a coping mechanism, I have to make things as home-like as possible whenever I get to where I'm going. Lyle and I just got back from Wyoming, so he's 
he's probably like picturing this in his head right now. But I'll basically, I'll bring a pillow. Well, if we're flying, I'll bring a blanket with me from home. I'll completely unpack all our bags, fold everything up into drawers, and basically try to find a routine similar to my usual rhythm in my new space. It usually takes me a day or two to overcome my physical symptoms of anxiety on a trip. It also takes me a few days to recover once I've gotten back home. So as you can imagine, this is a pretty burdensome way to travel. And it certainly doesn't allow me to look forward to trips as much as I would otherwise. Okay, all that to say, it is this anxiety that got me thinking about the notion of home in the first place because I realize I'm constantly trying to bring home with me wherever I go. And yet, when I pause, take a breath, ground myself, really think about it, I remember what I believe to be true deep down, which is that home is already within me, within us. And I feel a bit lighter, freer each time I return to this comfort of God's ever-present nearness. So there's a book I've referenced before by B Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh, it's been so helpful to me for many years. It's called Fear, Essential Wisdom for Getting Through the Storm. Has anyone read this book before? Um, in it, he talks about the practice of mindfulness, which is a good practice for learning to surrender control. And he shares a little, a little mantra, a little poem. It's in your guide, if you have a guide in front of you. Um, printed out there, it's uh, at the top of the page when you open it. It says, I have arrived. I am home, in the here, in the now, I am solid, I am free, in the ultimate, I dwell. I meant to capitalize that you. Is it capitalized on your guide? Anyways, let's read it together if you have a guide in front of you. Let's read it. Ready? Let's go. I have arrived, I am home, in the here, in the now, I am solid, I am free, in the ultimate, I dwell. Okay, now let's read it and really think about what we're saying. Ready? I have arrived, I am home, in the here, in the now, I am solid, I am free, in the ultimate, I dwell. Thanks for reading that with me. He goes on in this book after he says this, shares this little poem to say whether you are sitting, walking, watering the vegetable garden, or feeding your child, it's always possible to practice, I have arrived, I am home. Now, as a person situated within the Christian tradition, I can't help but read these words through my own faith lens. And so they encourage me to loosen my fists, relax my jaw, no matter where I am, surrender the control that I like to think I have, and instead return to divine source, divine home, the nearness of God within me. So one of the most interesting things about our text today, and you may have noticed this part when Connor was reading, is how God is very unfathomable. And though God 
God's ways are communicated as higher than our ways, above or outside our understanding. If you really look at the text, you'll see that yet God is still near. And I believe the same is true right now, that God is near and that we don't have to wait for the proper conditions or some huge dose of extra special faith (laughs) to know this nearness. It is here. It is now. This is the ultimate paradox for us as people of faith. It's our need to be totally present to this nearness, to be totally mindful of the now while simultaneously seeking forward movement. And so as people of faith, we spend our lives committed to heaven on earth now and anticipating this kingdom of God to come. We experience this paradox deeply during Lent as we travel toward resurrection while also being aware that its power, mystery, and glory is with us already. Home is with us. God is with us. But we forget this so easily. So we constantly have to return to the realization of the nearness of God, so close, so real, so potentially intimate. See, this is why I'm an advocate for Lent. (laughs) Because I think Lent is a time of focused, intentional return. And it's so fitting with today's reading. Because Lent mirrors a sort of exilic state. It reminds us that we experience a spiritual exile when we're not regularly, consciously aware of God's nearness. During the season of Lent, we reflect on how we are in exile. We reflect on how we might need to return. What this might look like for each one of us is deeply personal. No one can answer those questions on our behalf. No one can do the work of returning for us. Today's reading addresses those ancient people in exile, but it can also address us too, because there are situations and circumstances in our lives that are constantly pulling us away from our source of life, our source of groundedness, and our source of home. Endless tragedies and stressors shake our faith daily. Hard times make it difficult to believe the promises of God are real. Faith deconstruction and reconstruction leave many of us in faith crises struggling to believe in any God at all. But most often, I think, it is just simply everyday life that threatens to pluck us up and away from our home disconnecting us from the things of God because we're busy, because we're stressed, because we're tired, we have other things on our mind, and because most of the time it's easiest to function on our autopilot. And so often our autopilots don't leave much room for daily surrender and grounding. Only you know your struggles or barriers in this season, what it is that is keeping you from returning home. Lent is just the perfect time to reflect on this, that's all. (laughs) Lent is a time to ask, what is keeping me from living? What is keeping me from feasting? From this indulgent invitation to exist in my fullness and my Imago Dei. So as we reflect, we also get better at listening. And the imperatives present in today's reading resonate more deeply than before. Seriously, go back and read it later. But to paraphrase, come, listen, everyone who thirsts, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. 
See, if you let it, Lent will remind you that you are thirsty. Lent will reveal the hunger pains you didn't know you had. So every day we move closer toward the power of resurrection in this season. And in the meantime, we let go, we shed, we give up, we fast so that we have room for the power of this collective season to do healing work in our lives. We let go of the emotional shackles holding us hostage to our inner demons. We shed habits that lend themselves to our personal struggles. We give up anything that hinders us from being the hands and feet of Christ in this world. And we fast from whatever's needed so that we can develop a greater posture of listening. In other words, we return over and over again, granting ourselves compassion and grace along the way, beginning again, starting over as needed, day by day, moment by moment. For those who don't know, Lent actually means spring. It comes from the Anglo-Saxon word lengthen, which literally translates spring or lengthening of daylight hours. Perfect for today. Perfect info for today. As the weather has warmed up and the days have gotten longer here in Texas, I have begun tending to my plants that I had put inside for winter. Anyone else? One by one, I have placed them in their designated place outdoors. I've trimmed them, cleaned them up, watered them. I've been preparing for those wonderful springtime moments, those resurrection full of life moments on our back patio that we enjoy so much every year. This is helpful imagery for Lent, which is also coinciding with that winter to spring transition every single year. It's a period of cleaning up and clearing out within us. It's a time of confrontation, self-reflection, awareness, and ultimately healing and renewal. So we let go, we shed, we give up, we fast, and then comes Easter and we have room to enjoy the fullness of it, the power of resurrection. Arriving here is like accepting an invitation to abundant life. It is like returning home. This reading from Isaiah is so interesting to me because while it is clearly a hope-filled exhortation, we know from the context now that there's clearly a great amount of suffering in the world of the text. The people who are being dressed, addressed are a people in exile, a people who have lost everything they own, including their home, their community, and their religious epicenter. So as a result, even their understanding of a relationship of, with God, who, which was tied to a place, has become tied up in their loss. And I can't help but think of us. I read this ancient text, I'm like, oh, that's, that's a lot like us. Uh, many of us who have experienced the upheaval of faith deconstruction. <laughs> there's so much freedom, there's so much healing, so much liberation, and yet there's also great loss. We've lost faith traditions. We've lost family and friends and faith homes. With this exile has been the loss of many of our beliefs that previously tethered us to certainty and comfort. We've been left floating aimlessly and our understanding of a relationship with God has been tied up in all this loss. Any notion of divine intimacy has suffered and the concept of Easter hope can be difficult at least, unattainable at most. Be comforted that we are not unique in this struggle. 
In fact, these ancient people knew all this loss and much more. Despite the hope-filled invitation we read now, the people receiving it would have certainly been questioning God's very existence based on the disasters they'd experienced. Every sign indicated that God had not come through for them, if God really existed at all. God had once promised them to be with them always. Where was God now? God answers these questions in the text with proof of provision in their past. Going back to their roots, going back to their story, God essentially says, remember. God tells them to remember, and God tells us to. When you don't have the faith, the strength, the motivation to return, remember. Remember the good stuff. The good moments, the good people, the good community, the good memories. Remember those faith experiences that felt an awful lot like proof of divine existence. When you don't have whatever it is you think you need to return, remember. Because even though we've let go of a lot, we've evolved, we've dismantled, we've changed, and we'll continue to do all those things. Though much has been lost, not all has been lost. We can take the good encounters with us. We can decide that they count. We can find meaning still. We don't have to burn everything down. <laughs> so today we receive this invitation to abundant life. It's a reminder to return to intimate relationship with God. It's spoken from an ancient text, and yet the power of it bids us all, even now, to wake up and live, because God is near. And that glorious Easter day in which Christ is resurrected so that he may then resurrect us is also near. And so in light of this mysterious truth that for whatever reason continues to compel us, may we return. May we yield each day to the power of it in our return, and upon our return, may we find abundant life waiting at the threshold. Amen.